follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Thank you all for being with us for this episode. Guys, how are you doing? Uh, Still doing good. Still hanging in there. That's good to hear. Matt and I made the beautiful discovery of takeout margaritas in our respective cities. So I think think all things are good. (laughs) I actually, I read an article from eater.com. I don't know if people are aware of eater.com. They have uh, they have specific like specialized websites for like lar- the larger metropolitan areas. Like DC has a specific eater page that focuses on DC restaurants. This was a an article that was posted, I think, to the overall site. But they are making the argument that at least in sort of large urban areas, um, that this whole like to go cocktails or or like something like that, like margaritas, like that should just be like a regular thing. And I endorse this. I think every, I think the major cities, at least that you can like walk around. Not people are going to like drink and drive, obviously. But if you can like walk around, maybe, uh, maybe you let people walk around with a cocktail. They do it in New Orleans. That's true. All right. So uh, we'll get our shout outs out of the way real quick. We're going to start with Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, collarandelbowbrand.com. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four capital C Corners Capital P and Podcast. Save ten percent on your order. Matt, what's our other shout out? Uh, that would be to Epico Cologne. Mm-hmm. He uh, he started his career in the aughts, so ah, he is a uh, is a child of that period and is still going strong. So if you listen to uh, the last episode, we were talking about. The uh, time period of the aughts, uh, not quite long enough to go to seem like history, but also not current. So uh, something that a whole lot of people don't talk about. And we we said we were going to come back to it this week. And I believe Brad's kind of laid out a uh, kind of a um, itinerary for us on this one. So, Brad, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so... Last week, we kind of did, like, kind of just jumped around, kind of touched on the different parts of the decade. We talked about, you know, Ring of Honor, Pro Wrestling Noah, OVW, and we touched on WWE a bit and um, TNA a bit. But, you know, there really was a whole decade of WWE wrestling, and we really glossed over a lot of it because um, I think each of us had our individual breaking points with the WWE in um, this decade where we probably quit watching or doing what I did for a lot of the decade, which is DVR the show and then the next day watch it and fast forward until you hit the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
Yeah, uh, so I kind of set up a thing. So I thought we would kind of go through WWE primarily, and this is sort of in chronological order. Some things are out of place because what happened where is a little, you know, shaky after 15 years on some of these things. Yeah. 20 years on others. So I kind of thought we would start it off with a positive thing, which is, I think, arguably still the best WWE show from a in-ring perspective and overall build and creative direction, which is WrestleMania X7, which I watched live. It seems like everyone I talk to talks about how X7 is the not just the <clears throat> best Mania, but like the best WWE show like whole package. Brad, I also watched that live. And you know what upsets me is they edited it off the show, but during I think the Eddie Guerrero match, like he goes through the ropes at one point and trips on the ropes and totally like face plants to the outside and it was hilarious and they've edited it off like previous. Oh, have they? Yes, and it upsets me greatly because it was hilarious. <laughs> But this has this has I but this is also kind of I think where things kind of started to go shaky because this has Austin turning heel at the end after a pretty good match and I don't think I just don't think it's something the crowd ever wanted. Yeah, um, I think Austin even regards it. As, someone asked him what was one change you'd make uh, in your career if you could go back and make one. He said, "Yeah, at the." End of Mania X7, when Vince goes to raise my hand, I'd tell him, watch the boot, here comes the stunner. Yeah, so the card for this, just for those that don't know, let me look here. Um, see, X-Factor, Just Incredible, and X-Pac beat uh, Grandmaster Sexay and Steve Blackman. I think that was a dark match. Wow. Chris Jericho <laughs> defeated William Regal. Taz and the APA defeated Right to Censor. Kane defeated Raven and Big Show. Was that was that that was like that was, oh, a, yeah, hardcore that was a hardcore title game. match? Yeah. yeah, where Raven Eddie just Guerrero, about just about killed the power to the whole building. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Guerrero defeated Test. Uh, Kurt Angle defeated Chris Benoit. Mm. China defeated Ivory. Shane McMahon defeated uh, Vince. Edge and Christian defeated the Dudley Boys and Hardy Boys in a TLC. Iron Sheik won the gimmick, gimmick battle, battle royal, and that's because he couldn't take a bump. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Undertaker defeated Triple H, and Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated The Rock. And this was like, I think this was, this was either the last one or the second to last Mania before they started getting super bloated. I'm not sure about that because I I haven't I don't. I didn't really start tracking that when it happened. But, um... It, like, that's when they started turning into more like a four- or five-hour thing instead of a three-hour thing. Um, the six-plus-hour events, I think, is really a this-decade thing. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, interesting thing, apparently. Um, <clears throat> the, uh... Uh, this there was an interview a couple of weeks ago where Triple H said that he thought that Mania should just be a two night event, uh, two night event now. And on one hand, it's like okay, boy, that would help with really killing the crowd sometimes. And on the other hand, I'm like, 
Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I don't like it. So because because it's not like New Japan or something, especially for. I know it might. It's probably different for Japan because wrestling there is more of a live thing than a TV thing these days. But for the American part of the the Japan equation. We're just trained to watch that whatever, but WWE is like a live thing to us. Mm-hmm. If you make something a two-hour thing, like no one wants to give up their whole weekend for Mania. It was fine for quarantine because you had nothing better to do, but if you start making people pick and choose <clears throat> what they're going to do with their weekend, they're not going to They're gonna just stop watching if they can't get it all in one shot. I think it. I personally felt it was a gamble when New Japan did it, um, which I guess arguably paid off. But a lot of people I know who who watched those two shows really enjoyed like the main event for the second night. But overall, I felt like the second night was kind of just like I won't say superfluous, but it was just like it. it the, there wasn't as Killer. there wasn't as many like great matches and. Um, and that's kind of like I feel if WWE goes forward with that again. I think this this is such like a unique year. It's like it's it's kind of fine how they did it. But if they were to go forward with that, I mean it's tough because like I don't I I wouldn't want to sit through like an eight hour, yeah, or even a six hour WrestleMania. But you're gonna wind up being like it's people gonna basically. I guess the really diehards would both would watch both nights, but that's kind of like a that could be a logistic nightmare. Just I, I think I remember last year in New York City where it was such a hassle to get out of the actual stadium. I can't imagine back to back doing that every night, two nights. Uh, but you would wind up basically people would probably pick and choose. It's like, well, I want to watch. I want to go to the Saturday Mania because it has like Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I, but I don't care about Sunday night. Like, I, don't, like had, I, I almost feel like they would have to I feel like they would have to share like well this big match is going to be on this night but they would also have to almost be I don't know I, people they, people so, might like not want to go to a certain night so I don't know yeah but like so we, 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 we had season tickets to the local hockey team for about five years and I think one time they did they had a back to back like home game thing that we had tickets to and man it's sucked because you know you gotta get you gotta get ready you gotta go you gotta be somewhere that's not your house for like four hours you gotta deal with like parking and all you know you gotta deal with all the crap of like going into an arena and then sitting there for four hours like i just i just don't see like the i don't see how it would work here after year. i think it's gonna be like the three hour raw where people are gonna get sick of it after like three years well, because also what they're going to run into too is like, so what happens? Like, let's say, because well, you know what they're going to do? They're going to they're going to sell. You're going to have to go to both nights. So what's going to end up happening is if you put a really good match on night one, a bunch of people are going to go and be like, "Well, I saw the match I wanted. Like, I could, you know, come to Mania again, or I could go home on Sunday and beat the rush." And then exactly. they're going to get to night two, and like a fourth of the arena is going to be gone. Yeah. It's a gamble. I don't personally. I don't personally think that they should do that. Well, just because Trip said he thought they should also doesn't mean it's going to happen. So they really, 
they really just need to run a more disciplined product. That's what they have to do. That's been a big part of their problem for the last three or four years. All right. Um, so to, to go back to the original. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's my fault. I brought it up. But like, I mean, but see, the problem I have is like, maybe it used to be like from like up until about the mid like 2000s, maybe to the late 2000s, like, man, mania used to be such like a thing, like at my house, like I'd have friends over, like you'd look forward to it all year because you knew that's where like the big angles were going to like pay off and you're probably going to get like a new champion that was going to win the rumble. Like there was like a whole process to it and they just... They lost the plot at some point. I think after Daniel Bryan won it, like, Mania just has not felt like anything. Yeah. Um. But that's kind of when the Roman Reigns, like, never-ending, like, coronation Mania started, so maybe that's kind of why it's gone off the rails, too. But I think yeah. the length really does play into it. That's... Yeah, that's... Uh... I, it, it feels like they're just trying to get too much on the show, like you said, lacking the discipline, and there's just there's no quality control. So, yeah. All right. Um, what come? What were we going to say that we? What were we going to talk about after X Seven? So we touched on it last week, but it kind of was just a kickoff for WWE. So we had the invasion angle come after this, and this is kind of like their last um, grasps of what I would call the attitude era. Yeah. Before like they started to go downhill like this, the, the first couple of points kind of feed into each other. So uh, the invasion angle was kind of like a panic move because their ratings are starting to go down. Right. And then, so we got like that. We got the the invasion pay per view, which did like an insane buy rate. But remember, they like hot shotted that horribly, where they did like six months of of TV in one episode of Raw because they did like the ECW thing. Yeah. And then the whole alliance thing instead of like pacing that out over a longer period. Yeah. I was so. I was always a. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's so many years after the fact that people after people who weren't in, like in that era really don't understand. But I was you. You would pick sides. You would be like, "Well, I'm a I'm a w, w, well back then WWF guy, yeah, or I'm a WCW guy," and you would pick sides. And I was always more of a a WCW guy just because when I started watching wrestling, that's I, I first started watching WCW. Plus I think just overall my, I think I, I lens more towards, I like to, I like the work rate. I like, that's just how it is. And usually like the NWA WCW oftentimes had better work rate. It wasn't always the case in every year, but, uh, nine times out of 10 though. Yeah. But I, <laughs> excuse me. I was, uh, I was always more into that and, I, I was so excited for this pay per view because it was going to be it was going to be WCW versus WWE, and boy, <laughs> was I just a sucker to think that that WCW would get a fair shake in this. Yeah, but it would yeah. it would have made sense because it's like, well, why don't you book the Invader strong? It's the whole NWA NWO thing. I mean, the NWO thing went too long, but the reason why it was so successful is that 
you actually build them up as highly competent so that it continues that if you, if you just book them as like chumps who are going to like get rolled over, then you, people stop caring. It's as, um, and it, yeah. Sorry. And it quickly, it quickly turned into <clears throat> pretty much, they just shuffled a bunch of people's shirts around and you had WWF guys fighting WWF guys that had been there for like at least a year. And they were just <laughs> pretending like they had, some allegiance to a promotion they hadn't been in for like two or three years. Yeah, it, it, it bothered the living hell out of me. One of the things that stand the whole angle bothers me because this was an angle that could have run for so long and could have made so much money that was hot shot so quick and, like you said, killed over ego because none of the WCW guys were made to, made out to be a threat to anybody. You know, well, except just, Rob Van Dam, but they really, they really repeatedly dropped the ball with him for the next two years. Yeah, they just stalled him out real bad. But the, I'm sorry, Matt, I'll, I'll, I'll quit first. But to illustrate your point about WWF guys being in this, in the alliance, God kill me, I hated that too. Uh, by the way, every every promotion that was part of this invasion angle was headed by a McMahon. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um. But like they had See, the now, immunity I, I battle royal. This, I will say this though. I did like, I did like the angle. If they would have done something with it, I did like Shane McMahon as part of their feud buying WCW out from under Vince, like as a um, as a power move. At, yeah, and and I really, I but see what they should have done though. Is they shouldn't have screwed this up and waited until they had Flair and then had Flair instead of coming out after the invasion was dead. Yeah. Revealing him later as like Shane's bankroller. Basically Shane answering to Flair, but the um what I was gonna say is like the you want an example of what kills me is you have like they had the immunity battle royal. So the idea was that people who were in the alliance God, I hate saying that every time who are in the Alliance having an opportunity not to be fired, right? Like, they get the ironclad contract. They can't be fired. Who wins it? Test. Test, who had never been anything but a WWF guy. And they gave that to him, so he had a reason to, you know, be a heel on TV and not have any repercussions. I'm like, why the hell are you giving it to him? Another example is, um, now look. I'm not going to say that Chronic was ever the best work rate guys in the world, but they were they were a good big guy tag team. They hadn't, if, uh, caveat, if Brian Clark is to be believed on this, but I haven't found anything that disproves what he said, the match that Chronic had with uh, Taker and Kane at whatever pay-per-view that was, where Taker and Kane... It was brutally bad. But I don't know how was... Undertaker and Kane es- escaped criticism for that. Well, apparently Taker and Kane just, like, shot on Chronic the entire time and beat them up. And that's the first time Chronic had been in the ring for, like, a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're going to have a lot of ring rust. And then you have, as you mentioned before, Taker has skated by on a lot of criticism. You have Taker and Kane who just decide we're not going to do business and just beat the hell out of them. And then you never see them again. It's like, gee, I wonder why this didn't work. Because who who was leading the alliance? Steve Austin. What, 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 what in the hell are you doing? Right? Like, you're going to have Stone Cold 
leading this invasion? I'm sorry, what? And what did they start the whole thing off with? What did they start it off with? Booker T. Cool. Love having Booker T. Booker T was the hallmark, the babyface champion at the end of it. Booker T versus Buff Bagwell? I'm sorry, what? I think where they I think where they went wrong with Austin is it made sense, but like eh, I don't know I they were in a weird place with Austin at the time. I think, but I don't know I I just they should have waited until they had more name guys. Yeah, because the the problem they had with that is Sting. And Goldberg and some other people whose names escape me for the moment didn't make their deals with WCW. They made their contract deals directly yep. turn broadcasting. And and you gotta and I know they got a lot of hate for that at the time, but man, like you gotta give it to like if if I was one of those guys and they're gonna pay me all that money and I don't have to get beat up. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna Oh God, I forgot the biggest thing that pissed me off. And I know I'm I'm getting wound up here, but <clears throat> how in the hell do you justify having Diamond Dallas Page stalk Taker's wife when he was still married to Kimberly at the time? I know. And when they're gonna they're gonna reveal who the stalker is, and he comes out and he pulls off the mask, and it's DDP, and the building cheers. They go ballistic for DDP. And instead, it's there. It's like Vince went to take her and was like, "Take her, bury his ass." And it's just like God. It, they really basically treated him essentially like a jobber. They did, and this was and a it, guy, and that really, really bugged me at the time because, like, if they weren't really big into him, and and I can imagine that Vince probably wasn't because Vince, of course, has that weird thing about age or he probably thought oh this guy's too old it's like okay but he was actually like a big star in wcw so why don't you use him for a couple years and don't use him where it's like you have taker basically treat him like a chump in a in a brief feud and this and was a guy trying to do some shitty things with him with like christian it's like you could have had him be at least like an upper mid-card guy for a couple years and this and was a he guy even got that he even got the they even gave him that stupid motivational gimmick thing, and he got that over almost instantly, and they yeah. still, like, screwed him they over. They pissed that away. This is a guy who had one of those Turner Broadcasting contracts and got it bought out because he wanted to go work. And then they want to, and then they, like, I, okay, I'm going to go full bore on this one. And then they want to do their fake-ass bullshit and pretend like, Oh yeah, we love this guy when they put him in the fucking Hall of Fame and stuff. Yeah. Even though they treated him like absolute dirt. And honestly, like I don't even know why that guy was in wrestling because he is way too nice of a human being. Like all the stuff he did for Scott Hall and Jake Roberts, like I I just want to say like that that dude is a is a freaking saint and he would not And they you they, know, they I... ended his career essentially because they made him they made him bump their way instead of doing the easier on his body stuff, and it fucked him up. And he pretty much was done as as a full time in hardcore. Holly watched a superplex on him, and that messed up his neck and took him out. Okay, yeah. uh, I'm sorry. What you have a guy who was uh, you know huge over one of the biggest parts of the Monday Night War, and you're going to let Bob 
freaking Holly skate by screwing up a superplex on him and injuring him out of the business? I mean, I mean, let's let's be fair to Bob Holly though. I mean, his his other issues aside, like I don't think there is a lot of instances of him of him injuring someone in the ring. Like, I mean, if you wrestle as long as Holly did, you're there's a good chance that like you might have an oops like that. Well, I'm gonna, think, I'm gonna I'm trying to be consistent because I give yeah, I'm sure list the longtime listeners know I give Seth Rollins continuous shit for doing the same thing to Sting. So yeah, but there's I would say this though the the move Rollins did is fucking reckless because you really that people should not be doing buckle bombs to begin with and I think there's a whole debate we could have about that because they ban the pile driver which they think is too dangerous but if I was a worker in Shad you could tell me I'm fucking crazy I would rather someone pile drive me than buckle bomb me because at least with a pile driver I know someone has some degree of control over what's happening to me we saw it, we saw that like two three weeks ago um, we, we talked about it on the podcast Nia Jax was injuring Kyrie Sane I I mean I think she was trying to do a buckle bomb. Yeah. And absolutely. It it's like if you cannot physically pick up your again I I think you're right you probably should just just ban the move. But if you can't actually pick up your opponent and throw them into the into the turnbuckle like with a high enough altitude they can they can control their descent then don't do it. Or just and the thing just is, don't do it period. And the thing is, like, so, like, with a superplex, like, how many thousands of superplexes have been fine? Like, I, like, I think, I think that's an oopsie, but, like, with, with Seth Rollins and Sting, and I think Sting deserves a degree of blame for this, but you're Seth Rollins, why are you trying to buckle bomb a dude that probably weighs 260 pounds and is over 50 years old? Like, use your fucking brain, dude. He did it because like he did it because that's his spot, and he just does his spots. Well, that's because Seth Rollins sucks, and he doesn't. He can't deviate from his formula at all because he has no ounce of creativity in his body, and he's a corporate lapdog. Like that's that's the difference. Like whereas now with Holly, like we we can get into his other issues if we want to, but like for that, like to me. To me, that is a shit happens spot. Like, I don't, I I think he probably felt horribly about that afterwards. And I, it's just, you know, like, you know, they probably thought it was fine. And he probably just lost him in the process. Like, I don't, those are the types of things I don't hold against people. Whereas, like, the buckle bomb stuff, I tend to hold against people because, especially Rollins, because he has previously injured someone long term for that. Yeah, and, he did that to uh, Finn Balor. Yeah, so. and it's like, and it's like you need to see like, like if you were D'Lo Brown, like I don't blame him for what happened to Draws, but if he was still doing running Liger bombs to people after that, then maybe you need to rethink what you're doing. I I okay to be fair, and I need to be fair. I would have to go back to and watch that spot. Yes, I'm always fair to Flair, <laughs> but I would have to go back and watch that spot in order to to get another read on it. But I didn't ever let anybody pile drive me anyway because I 
uh, I, I was always concerned about my neck, and then oddly enough, what took me out. Um, I'm just saying, like, what I think would be my preference is because, to me, I would rather have, like, obviously someone could hurt you really bad on a pile driver, but I feel like that move gets done a lot, and they have control of me the whole time. They just have to place me properly. But with a buckle bomb, there's a degree, even if they do it right, where you're out of control. Yeah. Like, there's no one that's got contact with you, and you got to hope to God they projected you correctly to land right. Like, that's where, that is why I would rather take a pile driver because of the control factor. One last thing I'm going to say on the DDP stuff, and then I'll I'll give it a break, but at the, there, at the end of his run with them, they actually quit doing the gimmick thing and just let him be DDP and talked about how good the diamond cutter was as a finish and that sort of stuff. And he was getting over again when he got hurt like this, when they could have just done that from the beginning. What do you have happen? Just to, just have DDP be DDP and show up and diamond cut people in order to make a statement and get out because he built, he got over on that stuff, but no, 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 we're going to, we're not going to do this. We can't have this WCW guy getting over. By the way, that gimmick that he made so big, we're going to take and give to Randy Orton because shit, he ain't got anything else. Well, no, they just gave Randy Orton that move because he was that awful at the time. He couldn't really do any other moves. Yeah, he crushed his foot trying to do the overdrive on somebody, so. Yeah. Anyway, the invasion sucked. And it should have made... It should have made so much money and been like a an era-defining angle, and it was because it was a massive disappointment. And that, that just tells me so much about that time period. You know what's weird with Orton is I actually liked Evolution Orton, and then when they turned him face, like, I just crossed the bridge with him I could never come back from. I, I never I never liked Orton. I didn't, I didn't like Evolution either. Which no, I didn't either because... A- Gets to a get that gets to something we'll get into later. I th- I think. Let me look at the evolution thing was just no, get into tone next. deaf like yeah. The evolution thing was just like a tone deaf horse like Triple H trying to horse play. Uh, well, <laughs> that was a Freudian slip there. That was like a Triple H trying to cosplay the horseman thing, and I just don't think it worked because I don't really think people wanted that at the time. There's a number of things that's wrong with it, and it feeds from the invasion into the next thing on our list. I, the AAA train of terror. Matt, go ahead. Uh, just to add to that point, I clearly re- recall, at least with um, maybe even you guys back in the time, but my my friends were into wrestling, like actually kind of mocking and scoffing because it was so clear that, that Trips was just trying to do like a, a horseman XB. Mm-hmm. And it was just like it was it, back then. It was cringe, but I guess whole, like reign of terror. Like that's that's the weird thing about um, Triple H, though, is um, especially with this like narrative that kind of got smashed last year about how he has this great wrestling mind. Like if you really look at the angles that he has a lot of creative control over with himself, like he is very bad at knowing what his strengths and weaknesses are. He probably fits in the same space in my head that I, I put Kevin Nash in. As long as it doesn't involve himself, he can do a really good job with it. But as soon as you start involving himself with it, then it just becomes about getting himself over at all costs. 
So, you know, screw that noise. I would argue Kevin Nash has more charisma, though. Yeah. A lot more charisma. Yeah, he does. He There's no question that Kevin Nash has more charisma. I'm just talking about, like, in terms of, of booking and wrestling mind stuff. It's... If if either one of those guys are working on something that doesn't involve them directly, I th- and maybe my memory's failing me, but I think that that works really well. But the second you get one of the two of them involved, n- no, uh, uh-uh. yeah, uh, uh-uh. not Nash's shoot interviews are you know he tells stories about other people. And you're like, okay, cool, okay, I'm, I'm with. The, and then he starts telling stories about himself, and they always devolve into how cool he was, and how he was cooler than everybody else, and that sort of thing. It's like, and it, it's, I, I can't even get too frustrated anymore because I know what I'm getting into with him. If you, if you wanna, if you wanna actually have your brain explode, you should look up the YouTube clip because I think it's a Sean Oliver one. He, um, he talks about how they had to book Nitro and Thunder. Yeah, and he had to. He had to like pretty much break out a pie chart to explain it because it was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard someone describe. Like I don't know how he didn't kill himself. They were drawing timelines and like arrows yeah. back and forth. Yeah. And he had to he had to like reference here. He's like, so if a guy got hurt here, you were screwed for here, here, and here because you had already taped it. And I was like, what the fuck were you guys doing? Yeah. So anyway. Um, so let's kind of like break down the Triple H thing. So he came back right before the 2002 Royal Rumble and um, got a big pop on his return. But you know what was interesting about this is uh, he really didn't stay over very long. You could kind of see the cracks in the armor about two or three weeks in, as I recall. Um, was that the uh, the U2 return angle? The yes. beautiful day? And then, like, so, yeah, because this went into... By the time they got into Mania and he beat Jericho at Mania and did the pedigree on Stephanie, like, it was already gone. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, sweet. All right. Here's the here's the biggest thing. Jeez. Pisses me off about... They finally pull the trigger with Jericho, right? Like, Jericho is finally going to like he 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 beats austin and rock in the same night he has both titles he is the unified champion right the end of the invasion angle thing what do we have happen build up into wrestlemania we're going into wrestlemania it's going to be chris jericho versus triple h what is the angle jericho has partnered up with stephanie the feud is between triple h and stephanie and it involves their dog and hand lotion and where in the hell is your unified champion that you were supposed to be getting behind did you build him all the way up like that just to feed him to triple h i really kind of doubt it and yet you would still you would still perplexes me to this day is why they didn't end this show with rock and austin because no i'm sorry with rock and hogan because there was no way anything was going to follow that match. Rock Hogan? Yeah, Rock Hogan, because I said Rock Austin, yeah. which was wrong. Rock Hogan, because... Um, which, that is an interesting microcosm of a match in and of itself, because if you go back and watch that, they um, the crowd's behind both of them, and the second Hogan wins that like first exchange, the crowd like immediately goes behind him and never never gives the rock anything other than booze 
I think it it it's probably part of just like the old mindset where the main event, the title match should be the main event. Yeah. And plus I uh I could be completely wrong in misremembering this, but I almost feel like at the time they didn't they knew that that would be a big match, but I don't think they realized just how huge that match would be. I mean, WrestleMania 18 is kind of largely forgettable outside of the Hogan Rock match. The um, and Arn giving the Undertaker the spot. Oh, it's such yeah, a great spine. The buster. Taker Flair matches is good, but I think it, people just remember Hogan Rock, and I don't think at the time they were expecting the reaction it did get. I mean, it Hogan got such reaction, if you recall, that he, he even got another brief run with the title. Yeah. Yeah. After this. The See, I don't understand though. I don't I really don't understand how they didn't see it though because remember that first raw he came out and they the crowd was acting like a literal god was walking through the mm-hmm. the entrance way. Like, they, they literally cheered on them attempted murdering The Rock on his, like, return to Raw. Yeah. the Matt's right. The, it's the mindset of the title goes on last because it's the main event. And if something goes on after the main event, it's like we're acknowledging it's bigger than the title. The only time that I can think of that, they, that I remember off the top of my head, let me... Let me preface the only time i remember off the top of my head them doing that was reigns taker uh no, they did lawrence taylor bam bam last i think oh did they well like i said it was off Pretty the top sure of my it was off last. the top of my head so but so we're we're in this triple h wins the title in a foregone conclusion match and the we have this stretch where nothing like Triple H is just walking all over everybody and no one steps no one that steps up to challenge gets anywhere close to holding a candle they just end up getting squashed out of it so where how long did this last did we did we're largely done with it by like 2006 right or did it just kind of like morph into other things away from the title uh i need to look it up Look up which year the Spirit Squad was. I want to say that was 2006, but that might be 2007. Evolution was 03 to 05. Um, it's hard to say because but it really this feels is before, like the Triple H. It's before that because the 02 was, oh God, the Katie Vick angle. Were we, were we largely done with Triple H on top like when Legacy started? I do not remember. Uh, Like, as a full-time thing, like, I know he would pop up to screw up things like Summer of Punk and the Daniel Bryan thing, but I feel like Legacy is kind of where they, were that, where he kind of started to take a backseat, but I could be wrong on that. 07 to 09, he had multiple title runs. Okay. So So we weren't done until, like... Like, his third DX run was, like, his last... Uh, big. I guess it, it, I don't even know if that was on top. No, they were like, they were like tag titles because I think that's like where the Jarrah show beat them and stuff. Okay, 
I I would say it wasn't really until maybe like I mean he still was around, but I think like the 2006 maybe when Cena beat him at Mania for the title. I feel like that was kind of like that was really kind of the end, like at least the end, because mm-hmm. then they're pushing they're pushing Cena more consistently as like the guy. Because yeah. for if you recall, like in in the middle of the aughts for a while, they were kind of going back and forth who if the if the the next big guy was going to be Cena and really like Cena or Batista. Yeah, which and I feel like they made they made the right call with pushing Cena long term. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like what happened with, for a long time until why well, I feel like 2006 is where they got away from it. Because from about 2002 until like Cena really took over in 2006 is if you won the title from Triple H, you might get like a single pay-per-view event away from him. And then you were just rematched with him endlessly until he won it back. And then yeah. you just got shuffled off into nothingness, mm-hmm. even though, you know, he just got like endless rematches. Well, in the past, we've even talked about, um, like, how the we had the, uh, uh, like, we talked about the Rock Hurricane angle and how how much fun that was and how the Rock was willing to give the Hurricane the rub out of it. And um, Hurricane, you know, got the, uh, he got the pin on Rock with a roll-up and, like, he got it clean. What happened the next week? Triple H went out there and squashed Hurricane. And the only the only context to it is the week before the Hurricane had beat the Rock, and it wasn't even really competitive. It was, there was no question. Triple H just flat won. So what are we doing? It, there's there's a story. It's bandied about by a writer named Matthew uh, Randazzo. Randazzo. I'm probably butchering that. He said that he was a writer and he would deliver scripts. And it, the t- I don't have the the time period nailed down with this, but when Gerwitz wasn't there, he was the one that would deliver the scripts around to everybody. And Triple H would be like, it, they'd hand it Triple H, and Triple H would be like, uh, "Am I going over?" And he goes, "Well, yeah, okay, that's all I needed to know." And then the next time he's like, he handed in the script, and Triple H, says, "Am I effing going over?" And he goes, well, mm, the other guy wins by DQ, but you keep the title. Triple H ripped the page out of the script, dropped it on the ground, and walked away. And then the next day, it got you know it got changed. So it's like, what, what do we think's happening here exactly? You don't understand. I'm going over. I was so over. I personally was over Triple H in the odds. Yeah. Do you remember remember Eugene? Remember how like over yes! how popular Eugene was? And then Triple H that that became on Triple H's radar, so of course he had to he had to beat Eugene. And then yeah. Eugene was pretty much never the same after that. Like you stopped caring. He didn't even see him on TV after that. Or Booker T, Booker T. That, oh, me, that, oh my god. That's that's people have uh not that long ago, one of like the wrestling groups I'm part of, there was someone actually threw that out there. They did like a poll where it's like, what is one of the worst like booking, like mania booking decisions? And that was pretty high up there in terms That's of how gotta be voting. because it was Booker T should have gone over, and yes. he didn't because of course the Triple H reign of terror and just how offensive it was. Yes. They booked that. They they did a racial anger angle where Triple H was basically saying you're not as good as me because you're African American, 
And you would think with all of that, it's like, okay, well, Booker T has got to win now. I mean, he basically yeah. he basically made a white supremacist. Triple H basically made like a white supremacy argument. Nope. No. Nope. Triple H went over. And he went, not only did he go over, he went over after like pedigreeing. Didn't he pedigree? He like, he, I think he pedigreed Booker. And then it was like five minutes later, he crawled yeah, over. It's, it, Booker T does the axe kick. Two count does a missile drop kick the Harlem Heat Seeker two count did the Harlem Hangover that front flick leg drop off the top he hadn't done since WCW Triple H kicked out got up gave Booker T a pedigree five minutes later covered him for the win you had an angle a racism angle where the racist won what the shit it was I, awful oh my it, mm. And um, God, and and we had he it it, it it goes it sounds like it sounds like cartoon villainy, but it sounds like the time period of like Hogan sabotaging other people's pushes, right? Like these other people starting to get momentum, and then Triple H just eats them up and takes away all their momentum. Um, Shelton Benjamin. Like, Triple H pitched a fit about being traded to SmackDown uh, from Raw on one of the uh, in one of the drafts, and their statement was, all right, if you're going to go back to Raw, then you have to put over Shelton clean twice, and he did, and then what happens the next week? Evolution comes out, beats up Shelton, and Shelton becomes an afterthought forever after. Can, can, we, can we briefly touch on one of my favorite spots of the decade, though, is... Shelton Benjamin doing that springboard right into Sweet Chin music. Mm. Dude was amazing for being willing to do that. I would. That's. I seriously have to give him so much credit because he ate so much dirt. That had to hurt so bad. Yeah. Oh God, I'm in a ranty mood. It's okay. The triple. This. The, like, um, we're gonna talk about our breaking points at the end of the show, but. The Triple H Reign of Terror really did break me. Because I remember there was a reviewer. It might have been um, Jayhawk. Or... It used to be the guy that used to do Raw for TSM. He used to have a Triple H hater timer for how much time he was on Raw. And there was there were points. There No, but it was ridiculous. Like There were points in 2002 or 2003 where he would have like 30 to 40 minutes of screen time on Raw, and it was a two-hour show. Yeah, he did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He totally did that. And it's just like... You know, Brad, uh, our Breaking Point segment is going just going to be Shad uh, talking about his, yeah. because the Triple H Reign of Terror actually was mine. I remember being yeah. so... I honestly, I guess disgusted is like a really harsh word, but I just remember... I. I just would actively not care about the main event because I was just yep. like, I don't want to see triple H just go over again. I hated it. Katie Vick was a big one for me. What really got me to stop watching because I didn't watch from, I think 2008 to about late 2012. Um, and it's nothing that they did. Actually, it was Chris Benoit killing his family is actually what finally did me in for about five years of of viewing. Well, of do we want to do that now? Or? Yeah, we might as well, because then we can kind of be a little more positive on the other stuff as we go forward. But so, yeah, 
So for me, actually, it was the the reign of terror was a big part of it, and I was losing interest because of that. But Chris Benoit killing his family really is what did me in for. And I'm talking about any wrestling viewing. I didn't watch any wrestling from about August of t- 2008. Like I did lip through another year, but it, August of 2008 to about October of 2012, I didn't watch any wrestling. My breaking point um, was like the the invasion pissed me off. The reign of terror made damn sure that I didn't watch main events for a long time. You'd be like, main event, by the way, Triple H versus, and I'd just turn it off. I'd be like, nope, I'm not watching anymore. I'm out. Um, you know, because I'd watch for other stuff. And then um, I think, to be honest with you, it's, it's it was probably the same thing, Brad, is what, what finally drove me off for a while. Because... And I'm gonna be honest. It, it's it's. Uh, I was in this place where it was um, like I had I had liked Benoit when he was part of the Horsemen, and whenever he came over, he still he always had the you know the the aura of like you know it doesn't matter how much bigger you are than this dude. This dude's you know he's someone that can take anybody in the ring and that sort of stuff. And he went over triple H and that was awesome. And then he went over him again and that was all. But when this happened, it kind of cast this shadow over the whole business for me. And I was just like, I, I, I I just can't. Right. I can't, uh, I, you know, I just turned it off and left it that way for, for a while. I can't even remember how long it was. It was like, I made it through about another year and I was okay. And then I just hit this point where like I would derive no joy from wrestling of any kind. It was, I think the best way I can describe it because I did go through a period like this in my life was it was kind of like being in, it was like a wrestling related depression watching it. That's a good Watching it yeah. brought, like, it was it was just there, and I was watching it out of habit, but it brought no enjoyment, or I got nothing out of it. I've been through that in my life, and it's just the, the feeling of everything was difficult, and you question if it was worth doing, and you didn't get any joy out of it, hardly anything. And, it, and finally, I was just, I was just like, I don't know why I keep watching this, because I'm not... I'm not enjoying it. Why am I putting my time into something that I'm, I'm not in, I'm, and I just turned it off. And that, and that that's was, what happened to me. and then I would, I would, I would hear about something and then I would give something, I would give something like, I would give it a try periodically. Like I think I watched, um, impact for a couple months in like 2010 and it just wasn't good. And then like, I think I would try like a random raw here and there and it would immediately see the Miz and just turn it off after 30 seconds. Um, and then I think I, I think the one time I think I decided to try and come back was like right in the midst of heel Michael Cole. And I literally lasted 20 seconds. 
because heel Michael Cole is the worst thing they've ever unleashed on the world. And <laughs> I will never take him seriously as an announcer for that. Because when I started watching regularly again was kind of like the tail end of that. So I got exposed to like the last like six months of that. And it was just terrible. But really what brought me back was watching Chikara because it was more offbeat and a little less, um, a little goofier and a little more fun. And that's kind of what gatewayed me back into wrestling as a whole. I just, I don't know what finally brought me back around, but like a big part of the, the John Cena rise to stardom and time at the top, I was out for, I I just, I, I didn't want to, like I was aware of it and kind of kept an ear to the ground what was going on, but I just didn't want to. And it was, It was kind of like a it was kind of like a bad breakup, where you're like, oh, God, that those that that was fun, and then you go, no, just no. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a highlight on Chikara in probably a month or two, and this is gonna be one of the matches we're gonna watch. But Chikara High Noon is probably the show that got me watching wrestling again. Like I watched this months afterwards. Like I I randomly acquired the DVD, and um, the Eddie Kingston versus Mike Quackenbush match is actually what brought me back. Okay. To wrestling. Um, this was uh, the Benoit thing was also it, part of I think the reason that I had that shadow cast over is because. It was preceded not long before with us losing Eddie, and um, there were some other deaths that happened in that time period too. I think. Oh yeah, uh, the two. It's, it's actually on my list, and we can just segue right into that. Uh, um, the 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 aughts were kind of, I think, the decade of the wrestling death because that's real, really where a lot of those eighty guy eighties guys. Um, and a lot of the guys that were abusing steroids and drugs like all passed away within like that decade. Mm-hmm. Cause it feels like a lot of guys have died this decade, but it feels more like guys are dying in their 60s and 70s and more like of natural causes instead of, oh, hey, this guy at 42 just totally died. Just- oh, if, if they made it to 42. Yeah. 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 What was, um, I, know this, I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't in the 2000s, but wasn't Luis Spicoli only like? Oh God, he was like in his like he late 20s, yeah, 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 he was. And um, Bobby Duncan Jr. was in his like early 30s. What happened to Bobby Duncan? Because I just he thought about suicide. him randomly. He was suicide. Oh, okay. oh. I think he had drug problems and though. This is the was Renate. Renegade was suicide too, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, I take it back. I'm looking it up. Uh, Bobby Duncan Jr. was. It looks like it's a accidental overdose. Because he was like he was like Jericho's stooge at the time that he died, right? Or was he feuding with Jericho? Bobby Duncan Jr. was. Oh no that that was later. I think I think because he was was it, did he die when he was like with the West Texas Rednecks? I didn't think he made it that long. Maybe he didn't. He was introduced and chasing Jericho around when Jericho had the TV title. Yeah, I remember that. I'm trying to, like, place where he died. Matt, can you see the year he died? Who? Bobby Duncan Jr. Like, were you looking at it? January 2000. Oh, he might have been a redneck then. Maybe. Maybe. 
Uh, I may just not be remembering it. That's. I mean, he might have been around like when you know Curly Bill joined and stuff. <laughs> it's good to get a chuckle in this section of the program. But like, like I think uh, Boss Man was this decade. Uh, Bulldog was right before two thousand. So. Yeah. Um, Henning. I think Bulldog wasn't Bulldog in two thousand. Wasn't he, he like the tail end of ninety nine? No, because I think ninety nine was his WWF return, and then he he dropped off TV, and it was a couple of years later. If, yeah, if he, memory serves, he died May two thousand two. Okay. Oh, oh, he lasted a lot longer than I thought. Um, now he's really, I think he's really the he's one of the more tragic ones because. He really, I think he really was done in by that stupid ring at Fall Brawl that he that, like screwed his back up on. That dumbass yeah, Ultimate Warrior trapdoor. Yeah, and then it seems like the drug addiction he got from the recovery from that is what. Yeah. Um, or was it an infection he got from the injury? It was something really bad, though. I thought it was the the addiction that came out of it. No, but I'm saying, like, I think he got an addiction, but I think he he hurt his back and it got infected. Like, there was something really nasty, like, injury-wise before that. Uh, he, got, he got some kind of spinal injury from taking a German suplex on Ultimate Warrior's stupid-ass trapdoor. But I, I yeah. don't remember what followed it. Yeah. Uh-oh. And then, um, who else? I, I, it, 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 there, it was... It was like a laundry list. I, I think Test made it to the 2010s. He might have been in the 2000s, though. Uh, Mizawa died this decade, uh, but that was an in-ring injury. Yeah, that um, was... We're talking more about actual, like, uh, steroid deaths, drug deaths. Yeah. The thing that makes me sad about Eddie's is having it. Ha- he had gotten clean and turned everything around, and then had it happen, and you know, a few years later, and that's just really tough. Um, Johnny Grunge was one of them. Um, yeah, do you remember what was what was him? Johnny Grunge. Yeah. Probably drug related. Um, test test manager two thousand nine, by the way. Okay, so test was in there. Um, Crush was oh yeah what happened wasn't johnny grunge like sleep apnea i think so was I it? Mean, he was very overweight and just i think unhealthy yeah uh bam bam died this that decade yeah okay bam bam's thing is like oh man it's that's really tough you're right grunge was sleep apnea complications because if i remember correctly bam bam's was a result of him pulling kids out of like a brush fire or something he they these kids i think it was because it ended his entering career it was like 2000 or 2001 there these kids were stuck in like a fire and he like ran in and saved them but he like suffered burns on like i think like 20 to 30 percent of his body yeah i'm i'm pulling that right now it was um oh yeah, so Bam Bam's was a drug problem, um, but but I mean that that probably was because of that. Yeah, well, yeah, we couldn't rule that out. Uh, I'm trying to look up 
look that up, but I, I don't know where it is. Chase Tatum, who I don't remember what he was in WCW. Uh, Chris Adams was Chris Adams was murdered, I believe. Oh wow, God, I forgot about that. Because he was like, was he the? Because I remember um, it was oh, crap. What was his name? Um, Dino Bravo. One of the two of them was like a mob hit because they oh, were no. That Dino, was Dino Bravo. That was, was Dino Bravo. Was, um, there, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't watched a single episode of this, but part of the Observer group that I'm a part of on Facebook, they uh, they they've been talking about the Dark Side of the Ring show that Vice has done. I know, I need to watch that. Yeah, yeah. and they they did an entire episode on the Dino Bravo Dino Bravo story. Um, that just a, that whole series, the Dark Side of the Ring, just sounds depressing they did when i'm bent I, I can't watch the whole thing i might, might watch they, pieces of it but i can't watch the whole thing i heard they were they uh, were smuggling cigarettes i think and he got like a mob hit on him yeah i don't remember what chris adams was though brian adams was um he had a few different drugs in the system the coroner said that individually they were at therapeutic levels but the combination combination impeded his respiratory system enough to kill him. Mm. Now, um, this one, the next one, this one really hurt uh, because he was on TV right before it happened, and um, Chris Candido, who broke his leg, oh in the man, oh that was and, a really um, bad one, yeah. And he got a blood clot and died from the injury. Oh man! Oh, I remember that. And a promoter I used yeah. to work for was big friends with was, him. And he was, and the pro, and the the really sucky thing about that was he was managing the Naturals, and he died before that episode aired. So they did that thing, and he's like holding the titles and all happy with himself, and then they have to do like in the yeah, in the memory of it to the end. I so remember that. Cra- Crash Holly. Um. Earthquake, which is brutal because he had cancer. Yeah, he had um, like rectal cancer. Wait, say that again. Who? John Tanta. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. Um, I'm I'm leaving out people that were over the age of sixty because you have like Gordon Soley and like Gary Hart and you know Freddie Blassie, but I think Gary Hart had cancer. He did have cancer. Um, her- Hercules Hernandez, um, just because I see his name and Matt hates his gut because he is an ineffectual WWF president, Jack Tunney. <laughs> um, Joey Mags, John Cronus. How about um, uh, we're leaving out a big one, Big Boss Man. Yeah, I think I mentioned him. I already mentioned him. Oh, yeah, uh, mentioned him early. I was looking up. Uh, Mike Awesome, Mike Bell. Miss Elizabeth, oh god. Crash Holly. Um, oh god. Oh, here's a big one. Yeah. Here's a big one. Kurt Henning. Yeah. Oh god. This was just a yeah. depressing decade. And Moondog Spot, who had a heart attack in the ring. It bears I, I really we've talked about it, but she bears mentioning because she was in the wrestling business, but Nancy Benoit, who was murdered by Chris Benoit. Yeah. Oh, this one sucks. Randy Anderson of Cancer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Can we... God, can I go back Hawk. to screaming about Triple H again? Because no. that was way happier. I'm not I'm not done yet. Hawk, uh, Rocco Rock, Sherry Martell. Steve Williams was Cancer, um, which really sucks. You saw, like, his, like, last couple of matches because he had, like, the... 
you know, he had the thing in his throat and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, Stephen Dunn, Terry Gordy. Mike Awesome. Yeah. Yep. He was suicide. Um, it's so weird one but the wall aka malice from tna yeah he actually had promise and had started to develop into like a pretty decent worker i feel like he if he had survived he probably would have been like a decent kind of a decent star yeah and then umaga and yokozuna yeah which and the uh, number of you mentioned miss elizabeth yeah yeah okay the number of i'm I'm sorry i'm on that list I'm half I'm listening because I'm looking up. <laughs> yeah, to see. it's horrible. You just keep going. And you're like, wow, I didn't. Re-. But um, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to use Omaga to segue us out of this. Well, real quick. And it's not on the list. Um, but I, I'm going to throw out kind of a um, controversial statement and say the John Cena Umaga match from the Rumble is the closest WWE ever got to a Sting Vader match. I would need to pull that and watch it because that was in that time it's period really, when I wasn't. It's really good. Yeah, it is a great match. Um, the it, the thing that just depresses the living hell out of me about that list is how many of them were basically drug-related deaths. And I, I only was reading off people under 50 for yeah. that list, too. People under 50 drug... Oh, God. And, you know, I hear some people, they say, it's like, you know, the locker room is different now and everybody's getting along and playing games together and stuff like that. And no one's got that competitive drive. And I'm like, you know what? I'll take that trade-off. I'll take that trade-off, you know, seven days out of a week, twice on Sunday, because then you don't have crap like this happening. You don't have... You know, these guys who are, who are going out there and killing themselves trying to do stuff, and the only way they can medicate it's with illegal drugs, and they end up dying in their 40s. I'll take the, what we've, I'll take that, that locker room any day of the week. Well, I think, um, well, obviously the ECW guys, because I know Mike Quackenbush talked about that, because he was, he and, um, oh shit, what was his name? Uh, Black Shirt Mafia was him and Alda was it oh crap oh reckless youth okay um Mike Quackenbush was talking about how in his early days when he was getting some looks from big leagues as always because they wanted reckless youth and he could just kind of like came along in the package yeah but they were getting looked at by ECW towards the end and um reckless youth youth worked a couple weekends and he came back and he's like, no, we don't want to work there. Like they're super into drugs in that backstage area. So it doesn't shock me. A lot of those ECW guys, um, have had issues because I know like Coke was like really yeah, big in the back, the back and stuff. The fact that Raven's still alive is pretty impressive. Um, the, okay. And incidentally, there's one that, surprises me is that you brought up a name that I kind of expected to kind of expected to be bigger was Reckless Youth but he never he retired did he? I I kind of expected to see Reckless Youth um, you know uh, show up somewhere else in a big way and it just never did. He kind of, he kind of. So what happened is he kind of got screwed by ECW and WCW going under because, um, he was 
he was kind of on the radar. Like, he was kind of in that Michael Modest, Christopher Daniels kind of getting looks Yeah. towards the end by uh, all the companies. And then they kind of went under. And then kind of as all those other companies were starting to take off, like, that next wave, he was starting to pull back what he was working. Like, towards the end, he was just really doing Shakara. So he was kind of out by the time, like, he could have, like, been in Ring of Honor and stuff like that. He might have done a couple of Ring of Honor shows, though. Apparently he did some CZW up until 2003. Oh, here's yeah. what he does now. He's the director of the tax department for Jones Apparel. Dude was smart. He he had a he had a good backup plan. I think he's worked, I think he's worked a one-off Chikara here or there, like, as a nostalgia thing, like, couple times like maybe every three years or something okay but he was i mean i mean i remember in like ewr or like the predecessors of that like you always signed reckless youth because he was a good worker yeah he was like the the known um he was he was the known guy to have uh he was the known indie guy i guess but I, I do think this was really awful, but um, I do think it had some positive outcomes because for all of its faults and how it is kind of phony, like I do think the wellness program has been a net positive for WWE. Mm-hmm. They were not good about actually using it early. Um, no, that but was I think the- Ben Benoit kind of kicked them in the ass, I think. And they've been better about it. Well, yeah, because that was that was post Randy Orton uh, wellness policy stuff. AJ Styles landed the best promo body blow I'd heard in maybe a decade on Randy Orton because Orton was Orton was like, yeah, I was working here and you were working like high school gyms and bingo halls and. Styles goes, yeah, I was working high school gyms and bingo halls while you were having the wellness policy changed so you didn't get fired. And I was just like, oh, my God. If I could love AJ Styles anymore, that would do it. Go ahead, Matt. With regards to the wellness policy, I feel like it did. It has improved things a lot, and I don't feel like people are getting popped or having the same issues with like the heavy drug use or like the prescription pain meds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I mean, I could be completely wrong cause I'm not, I'm not in like the indie world per se, but it seems with social media, like things are, things seem very transparent and I don't really feel like on the indie scene, even like people are, are really heavily into the drug scene. I mean, they could be. I I wouldn't know, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But it doesn't seem like it is. And obviously, if you look at how workers look today on the indie scene and even, like, in the WWE, clearly, like, they're they're guys who are still big. But the average size is vastly different. You don't see, like, necessarily, like, the the roided-out people anymore. I mean, you have guys like Gargano. Even even Mysterio's trimmed down once he, like... Yeah, from that, I, I think it's overall a net positive, and it 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 seems like I think just it did cause I think a culture shift in definitely in the WWE and, and 
quite possibly the entire industry. Uh, I guess the only the only downside is like they still play games with the wellness policy in the sense that if you get popped for something, they don't. It used to be like when it first started, especially after Benoit and everything. It's like you get popped, like you're you're done, like you're you're taking your thirty day or however many day suspension, mm-hmm. even if guys were in angles. And nowadays, like when people get popped, and it seems a little more infrequent, but it's usually like you get popped, and then it's like okay, well we'll let you finish out the next two months of your angle because that's what we have booked out and then you'll serve your suspension. They did that. Who they do that with? It was somebody recently that he allegedly, was it, was it Rusev? Somebody got popped for like a wellness policy violation. They didn't specify what it was. And they're going to go like um, a... Oh, God. Um, did, 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 they have, um, did they have pulsing um, remnants of the drug? I don't know what it was, but somebody... Um, I forget um, who it was. Somebody got Charlotte Flair's boy toy. Oh, was it Andrade? Oh, um, yeah, Andrade. Andrade. I think that was. I don't know that it was him. It was maybe it was. If somebody got popped, or at least it was a rumor that they got popped, and then they were going to be gone for thirty days. But then it came out like, oh no, like they're injured, and it's like to me, it just struck like, oh, he's they're convenient. They're conveniently going to be injured just for thirty days. You say they're going to come back <laughs> after like a month. I, it just seemed kind of like suspect because i mean that's in theory like you could do that you could you could just have a guy like surface suspension and just be like oh yeah they're uh they're dealing with an injury they'll be back well see i i don't have a problem though if if like let's say you have a feud going and like you literally just have to get through another month and they pop like just let the guy finish the program out and then suspend him like i don't see why that's a big that's not a big deal to me like as long as as long as you're enforcing it equally, like I don't see the problem with with those sorts of things. Because it's not like it's a real sport where you're affecting someone. Like, you know, just let them finish out what they're doing and drop their belt and then go like off. Like if now if they're starting like a program that's going to be six months, like just you, you just get it over with. But I don't have a big issue with with like that. I don't know. I don't even think like I don't even think um, does Major League Baseball or like the NFL um, publicly disclose the first failure? I don't, I don't know. know. I have to look that up. What did did Reigns fail for Adderall? Do you remember? That sounds I right. Know. I can't. I, uh... But I can't vouch for exactly why. Did you see their editing like mentions of him off of like yeah. things right now? Because oh my god, that seems in just incredibly petty to do for someone making a really intelligent decision. Yeah, I don't know. I think he's um. I don't know. I I, I it perplexes me. It very much perplexes me. But like I um. So let's get into our final run of stuff here. Mm-hmm. We're going to be a little more positive on the next subject. Um, so Edge was kind of a thing this decade. Wait, are we going to do that like... or are we going to do the uh, the squad first? Because the Edge stuff runs to get can run together. 
the Spirit Squad, which was like their entire class of like OVW that Sean and Triple H ruined, and Dolph Ziggler is the only one that survived that. I, I know. Yeah, that's the. Oh God, we could have tied that back to the Rain of Terror, but. I liked the Spirit Squad. I know it's it was the idea was it's supposed to be a lame gimmick, right? But the thing is, those guys had so much fun, and it was so over the top. I couldn't help but enjoy what I saw of it. I I like their finisher. Was that where all of them would would boost someone way in the air and then just flatten them? Yeah. Yes, that the, I used to love that. Um, Matt will know what I'm talking about. The old. Um, the colony finisher back with the original squad where they do the anthill where they'd like the one guy would jump off the others and like splash someone. Mm, yeah. Um, a, another spirit squad spot I loved was one of them puts a little trampoline at ringside. The other one runs down the apron, hops off the trampoline, jumps off of it and does this cartoony limbs, wheeling, flying lariat to whoever it was. I laughed my balls off at that. I thought it was amazing. They just had them. Um, Chikara had them in King of Trios, I think, two or three years ago. But um, you, you pointed out the hell of it is they debuted on TV to be a threat to Shawn Michaels and Triple H. When everybody knows full well that they're not unless it's like all six of them. And that was a really dumb thing to do but but hey uh nikki survived and went on to bigger and better things nikki yeah okay so we were gonna go into edge was um was he was was Dolph um kerwin white's caddy yes he was okay that's Wow, that I just pulled that. Yeah, out that's of my ass. completely forgotten until, and I, I yeah, yeah, I remember seeing it on a house show first. I saw it at a house show, and I was so confused because I'm like, "What is Chavo doing? Why are they calling him that?" It didn't make any sense, but you know, it was just, um, it was just a lame ripoff of what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this is an official podcast statement from Four Corners Podcast about the most underappreciated uh, gimmick of all time. It was just a lame imitation of hole-in-one Barry Garso. <laughs> he, he wasn't as good as Barry Darso because he actually worked matches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Poor Kaz Hayashi got the hole in one, and then he got beat up. Uh, yeah, I remember the announcer selling that hole um, in one. Barry Darso putting the boots to somebody with golf cleats on. They were just like, "No, you've got golf cleats on. What are you doing?" <laughs> oh, I can't believe I pulled Kerwin White out of my butt. I hadn't thought about that, and like since it happened, talk about something that yeah. is lost to the annals of history. I think what that was is they turned him heel because I think, and I could be totally misremembering this, but I think the Kerwin White thing was he was like renouncing his heritage um, or something like that. It was kind of distancing him from the do it for Eddie angles uh, as well because that got real played out too. 
Okay. I feel like that angle lasted a long time, but I'm betting it only lasted like two months. Um. Well, because both uh, Chavo and Ray were doing it. And Ray doing it lasted longer, and then Chavo was like, well, you know, I was actually related to the guy. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> we are going to talk about Edge. Yes. Um, so, Edge, well, the, I would say I'm going to, I am going to, um, I'm going to make another contentious statement about the Matt Hardy firing and the subsequent rehiring and feud with Edge, I would say that is probably the biggest mainstream angle they did in the 2000s. Because um, that actually got, like, legit, like, they had him on, like, Opie and Anthony. I think he did, like, other, like, legit talk shows. Okay. Uh, I, I don't remember stuff. the mainstream part of it. I remember he went to Ring of Honor and and talked about stuff there, and had good matches. Well, the, they they actually they actually rehired him before that. Oh, did they? And they just did like they let him work the dates anyway. Well, because it was building the angle. Yeah. Um. Okay. So quick background. Um. Well, he had and he had he had agreed to work the matches. And then they they rehired him, so I'm thinking because Matt's Matt, he that was stipulated in the in the signing that he had to honor his dates. Yeah, problem. That, if I had that, guess. would make sense. So, quick background, uh, Matt. Do you want to give, give us quick background on Edge, Matt Hardy? Ah, uh, my memory is a little fuzzy on it. Actually, I know that. Okay, you can probably tell it better. All right. Uh, I just I wanted to give you an opportunity because you've been I, quiet for a minute. <laughs> no, I mean I know that I know like the general specific uh, the the overall like story, but I forget a lot of the specifics because this was a period where I was still watching, but my interest had kind of died down a little. Yeah. So, um, so it was in okay. So Team Extreme had been Matt and Jeff Hardy and Lita for a long time. And I don't know if Lita had been attached to Esa Rios before that, but Matt and Lita had been had been an item, right? And so one one night they're home from the road, and there's this phone that starts going off in like Lita's bag or something. And Matt just because I, I I don't know why but he picked it up. She was getting text messages from Edge. You know, a dude that Matt Hardy thought he was real close to turned out Lita had been carrying on an affair with him. So this whole thing blows up because, of course, it does. And the WWE's reaction is to fire Matt Hardy. The one guy who, by moral whatever moral code you can come up with, is the victim of the thing. Didn't actually do anything wrong, but they fired him. Now, can I can I ask a question? This this was legit. This is all legitimate. Like this wasn't. Like this was a, not an angle. A, okay, because I I there was I had thought like at some point, and I I could never remember. I thought I had read somewhere like years later that there was some more, like worky stuff in there, but I can't like ever confirm that. And um, I think I might have just like miss like meshed a couple things together in my memory because you know that's really easy to do way after the fact if any of this is angle stuff then it it, I, I, it would be news to me so yeah 
Matt goes off and he is um, doing his, you know, he's he's telling everybody what happened and, you know, agrees to do Ring of Honor dates when they rehire him and they bring him back. And it's going to be this grudge match, Matt Hardy versus Edge, right? I can't remember what show it was at, but I remember sitting at BW3s to, to watch the show. Can you rem- can, can do you remember how long he was gone? Was it it was it super? It was only like a couple months. Yeah, right? it was only like two three months. Because I was I remember being surprised that they hired him back that quick, and I was like, well, I guess they're gonna uh, they're gonna make money off of it. Of course they are. So he, you know he they they come out and I can't remember the event where they had the match. It went on. I think it was just wasn't it just like a raw? No, it was on pay per view. Okay, but it was kind of early in the show, and like there, you know, you you learn to tell the difference between working punches and and not working punches, and you can tell that like like they're laying him in a bit, and Matt goes to the corner and he puts Edge in the corner and he does, he's not even doing the ten count he's just like hammering away. Like I'm sitting there going, all right, we're doing the ten count spot, and he just kept going, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then Edge lifts him and drops him. But when he lifts and drops him, he doesn't drop him on the turnbuckle. He dropped him on the post. And Matt Hardy was knocked cold from hitting that post, and they stopped the match. So basically the way it it plays out is Edge got off scot-free by virtue of injuring Matt Hardy, and Edge and Lita, as this on-screen item go on to do this this thing and it kind of reinvents edge into i guess the rated r superstar although he didn't really he didn't start using that term until after he won the title i don't think or maybe right before yeah, they kind of no i think um because remember remember he won the title and they were gonna do that live sex show on in the middle of the ring Raw. yeah and and Flair came out and he's like, you need like a real man like to show you how it's done. And then, you know. Yeah, um, that was a I remember they kept hyping that up and and you would you would <laughs> there. One of the old message boards I was part of, you could tell there were some younger members because uh, they were so damn thirsty. Their heads were going to pop off and I'm sitting there going, nothing's going to happen. I know it's cable, but nothing's going to happen. Right, just just never mind. Don't don't even. And um, but it, to build up to that was the first Money in the Bank match, and the first Money in the, after the the Edge Matt Hardy thing because Edge had been a face. Now he's very clearly a heel because it's like, well, you dick, you stole the guy's girlfriend, and now you know you get out of having the match with him by dumping him head first on top of the ring post and it's like yeah you're you're a heel now you're a dick they actually like for for everything in the situation that it actually shows um they did an actual good job of building him as a heel out of all of this yeah they they let that i gotta think that this was a case where there was probably well not even that there was definitely like Edge's input on it because he he changed all of his in-ring mannerisms and stuff. Well, they he had been the thing is he had been getting really over for about 
I mean, he had always been kind of over since the the brood stuff, but yeah, he was getting like really over here, and they actually damaged him a bit by having him job in that match in Japan. Uh, what was that match? It was again. I think it was with Shawn Michaels or Triple H. Like there was like a title challenge that he probably should have won that they jobbed him in. Okay, I don't remember and that it. Kind of hurt him because it it was kind of like remember because that actually is that decade. Remember that Royal Rumble that was Randy Orton versus Jeff Hardy, and they had Randy Orton win, and the crowd just died and never came back. Like for the rest of the show. I don't, but. Go ahead, because I'm, um... I think it was 2008, but, like, you would just hear the crowd go, like, oh, crap. And then they just, they never got him back. It was kind of like, um... I think Matt was at this mania. It's kind of like that... It was kind of like that same reaction when Daniel Bryan did his return match, and they immediately stretcher-jobbed him. at Mania a couple years ago, and, like, you could just feel the crowd go, like, oh. I I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why, but I'm blanking. But anyway, I would say, so he wins the money in the bank, and they really tease it for, um, for almost the whole year, and what was interesting about this, though, was, um... You know, it was a new gimmick at the time, so it was all kind of fresh and unknown. And it really hadn't have become, like, the the almost um, kind of generic, predictable gimmick it is now. Like, to the point where they pretty much have people cash in immediately because they don't want to deal with the briefcase anymore. Mm-hmm. Edge, in that year with the Money in the Bank briefcase, set the pattern that if if someone's not going to cash it in immediately if the if that's not going to happen everyone since then has basically been following edge's lead on what you do with that briefcase it's that's everybody is following the 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 trail that he blazed on that and they're they're basically doing what um what you know? They're basically doing what Edge did in that first case and blazing that trail. See, I think a guy should earn, like when he wins the Money in the Bank, he should earn a legitimate title shot at the guy, and then just wallop him with every foreign object until he's unconscious. Take the DQ and then be like, "Oh yeah, I'm just cashing this in," and then pin him in the second match. <laughs> Uh, that's that would be actually smart booking. That would be new too. Well, they kind of they kind of did that with Braun, where Braun's like, you know what? Like, I'm so awesome. Like, I'm gonna tell you when I'm gonna cash it in, but then they screwed it up. They never actually had him do is. it. Yeah. I remember that report because that that report was they had Braun do it to keep people from walking out of the building. So no, they never had any plans on following it up. They just took the briefcase away from him. Who even won the me- the men's money in the bank last year? Uh, money in the bank. 2019. Uh, I know Bailey won because she cashed it in in the same show. Yes, but she did it as a face. 
So that was that was a nice, actually a nice change. It really tells you. It really tells you how memorable it was that I watched that show last year, and I think we talked about it. And we do a wrestling podcast, and I can't remember who won the men's money <laughs> in the bank last know, year. Right? That's what I'm looking for right now. Yeah, uh, that's pretty terrible because I actually can't think of it either. Yeah, I'm trying to look it up. Now, I will say, I would say um, Edge's first cash in, which. That actually drives me nuts because if you watch it now, because there's blood, they black and white out Cena. Oh, really? In the match part, which is dumb. Yeah. But um. It, it was it was Brock. Oh, that's oh. right. Because of the boombox. I should remember that because the boombox is like the only entertaining thing on TV this year, and then Stephanie had to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's the but, reason that we blocked out Money in the Bank last year. That was the Miz Shane Steel Cage match with the minus five star frog splash. Oh, God. that's why we blocked uh, it out. Yeah, that is. So I would say I would say the first his cash in is probably still the most memorable one, with um, probably the second place being Dolph Ziggler cashing in on Alberto Del Rio. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. That was kind of been a hazy period for me, but that was kind of the Dolph Ziggler one. Kind of came when the crowd started rebelling, and then um, he got like a giant, like he got like a monstrous reaction for cashing in. Okay. But um, yeah, so they they do New Year's Rev. Was it New Year's Revolution? Yeah. Um, Cena's after his match, and then Miss Vince McMahon comes out and he announces like they're cashing in their money in the bank. Edge comes out, gives him the the briefcase, which is actually different. Pretty much spears him a couple times. It's over. He wins the belt for the first time, and that was your first money in the bank gimmick. Yep. But like he did a good job with it. Like the 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 briefcase was like part of his gimmick. Mm-hmm. For that almost year that he had it, because yeah. it used to be a ma- Money in the Bank started as a Mania gimmick, didn't it? I don't know, did it? Yeah, I think it, I did. Think it did, and then they spun it, it off into its own event, didn't they? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, I do think I do think they're at the point where they should give it a rest for a couple years, honestly. Either that, or if you're if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna keep doing it, take the year restriction off of it, and just let people have it. And you just got some guy who's being super smooth and hanging out, and it gives you another gimmick for people to fight over. And it's like, why, you know, someone someone turns around and is like, well, why are you targeting me for? And the guy goes, because I want you to put that briefcase on the line. And they go, whoa, whoa, now hold on just a second. It's like, no, 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 no. And and you you have another tool to work with, and you don't have a timer on it. But I don't think that there's enough patience in the booking and writing to do that. I also think don't give it to someone unless, like, you can incorporate it into their gimmick and make it work for a couple of months, because I'm really... Like I said, it feels like the last five years, it's just a 
they just try and get rid of it as quick as possible so they don't have to think about it. It kind of seems that way. Although I did laugh myself sick at watching Baron Corbin fail a cash in. Yeah, I did like, I will say the one, because I think, I think they did it because it got a good re- reaction, but Dean Ambrose sneaking up behind Seth Rollins and just smashing him over the head with it and then winning the title was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I think Punk won two titles off of cash-ins. I know he Punk? won one. Yeah, he won one. I would actually say, like, for for memorable cash-ins, Punk, to me, was memorable, and Daniel Bryan's were, but that's possibly because both of those I really wanted them, the guys to win, so... The Daniel Bryan one was hilarious because... That one was Big Show won the title and Mark Henry like slammed him through a bunch of chairs and he's dejectedly walking off and then Brian comes like running out and just pins Big Show. He's passed out at the time. And he can like barely pick up his big ass leg. And I think he just ran away. Well, yeah, you're going to do that to Big Show. That's the way to do it. Well, if you do something like that, you almost, and you don't want to put the title on Mark Henry, you write yourself into a corner. What What do you do then? How do you get the title off of him? That's as good an answer as any. But they're so willing to just, or they're 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 just so big on just getting rid of them so quickly that you know, then they don't have that tool around. Rob Van Dam's was also one of my favorites. Because he didn't say, hey, I'm cashing in. He said, I'm cashing it in for this event. It's like, and this is a month away. I'm cashing it in for this. And it went it went like gangbusters. So, You know, you know what one of my biggest regrets of the 2000s, though, is when, when they did the King Regal gimmick and he failed the wellness test? Yeah. Uh, and he had the IC title. They ended that Raw with him like sitting on the throne. I feel like we've talked about he, that like, before on the show. We yeah. Have. yeah. That, it was good. one of my biggest what-ifs of that decade because that was legitimately awesome for like the three weeks they were doing that. Yeah, he was great. He they, Well, they said like behind the scenes chatter. Maybe I picked it up from like The Observer, but – they were going to give him that is not that they were necessarily going to put the title on him although they could have uh, that was kind of in that era where you know they they were putting it on guys that you wouldn't have ordinarily expected like i mean JBL had a long run with the title but they were going to give him like a big push as like a, a main heel and he was so good at that time <laughs> i i really would have loved it he was just like sinister and in it was like tremendous, and then they had that wellness violation, and they just dropped it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd heard rumblings too, but my rumblings were that it was going to be like world title run. It could have been. Oh, it absolutely could have been. It would have been great. But there we are. Now, if you want, if you want a randomly amazing William Regal match that just happened out of nowhere. His NXT match with Cassius Ono from, I think, like, 2014, maybe, is amazing. If you haven't seen it. Hmm. No, I haven't. 
I've got these big gaps in what I have and haven't seen, so there's I I keep trying to to go back and catch stuff like that. Didn't NXT was legitimately a great promotion for about five years till Bobby Roode, and then I started to lose interest. This is almost like a decade old now, but didn't uh, didn't Regal have a really good match with Dean Ambrose? A.K.A. John Moxley back when it was like uh, Florida Championship Wrestling. He might have. I would have to look into that. I didn't see much um, FCW. I know a lot of it was out there because, like, I remember the entrance ramp being weird and like people would talk about how good it was, but I wasn't like super. I wasn't super into wrestling at the time because I was in that like kind of dead period and I just couldn't stick to things and I really didn't. Until I really started to get back in, like, and then they they rebranded it as NXT. I watched that for a solid several years until it kind of lost its way. But yeah, I, I, I haven't seen much FCW. He probably did though because he's worked with a lot of those guys. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Like, did. I know Shad and I have kind of talked about how we dropped off. Like, I, just before we go tonight, Matt, did you watch, like, mostly through the decade, or did you drop off? Uh, I kind of dropped off. I mean, I... It's funny, because we talked... This whole thing is about how, like, the odds is almost like a lost decade. I kind of still watched. I, I was a lot more casual. I definitely... work so I, I certainly didn't watch like a lot of the pay-per-views unless i were to get them on like tape trading or bit torrents or something like that after the fact but i did i did at least kind of follow what was going on and i tried to watch at least some of the tv I, there are points like during like when it's like the smackdown six definitely like in that period i was like religiously watching because that was awesome but probably after the benoit stuff i kind of i did drop off a bit um i would follow it but i wasn't really paying super close attention um i actually kind of like dropped off more in like the early 2000s i'm sorry the 2010s yeah it was it was weird like i would watch stuff my wrestling career ended i guess about six years ago at this point and I would watch stuff for research at that point, but I wasn't watching the the week to week show stuff. Um, and it, I, it, I guess my mindset at the time is I wasn't getting much out of it. You know, I'm 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 looking for for ideas or stuff to use, but the problem is I didn't want to just use stuff that was on TV, so I wasn't getting much out of it. So I I didn't come back until after that. I don't think. See, even in, like, the 2000s, like, I was, I watched a lot of wrestling up until the Benoit stuff, but I was, like, in that, like, 2004 to 2008 era, before I stopped, like, I was starting to watch Chikara. Like, I would, if I get my hands on Ring of Honor, like, or Japan, like, I was still watching, but, like, I was... I was kind of tiptoeing around WWE. Like, this is where I really started watching, like, New Japan. You know, getting my tapes. Like, I would find people because the sucky thing is I didn't have access to TNA during the the weekly pay-per-view era. Mm -hmm. 
so I'd usually have to try and connive those on VHS afterwards or catch those on like a download site. But yeah, I, I, I was really more NWA anarchy is actually something I loved in, from about 2005 to 2008, um, which is not something a lot of people have seen, but it's one of the best like weekly book TV shows I've ever seen. Mm. And, um, like a lot of stuff like that. Like I watched, if I could get it on TV for, or I could download it. Like NWA Anarchy was a weekly TV show that they uploaded to a website that I could download for free, and I would watch it because it was good. But so I, I you know, like I said, I didn't watch. I started to fall off of WWE. I did watch a, a crapload of of um. 24 7 when that hit on demand and i could actually mm, get it yeah me too like i have i still have i still have a huge pile of dvds because because you would get that new drop every other week i think of the new shows and right on the dvd recorder <laughs> most of that stuff would go because that's how i saw my first like Jim Crockett promotions. That's how I saw my first world-class championship wrestling. Um, what else was on there? My first Florida cha- No, no, no. I'm going to say that wrong. My first championship wrestling from Florida. Mm. There. I said it. Okay. Right. I, that was the first time I saw that on, on 24 seven. And I remember, I, I wish I knew what episode this was. <laughs> I remember it was, <laughs> I don't remember the content. I'm going to like botch this because I forget. It's been years since I saw this. But they brought in some woman on the show and I, I almost feel like uh, so and so from like the local uh, community organization and she was on the, the show for some reason. It was like this middle-aged woman. And then later on, <laughs> later on in the show, Kevin Sullivan comes on. He like gives a crazy demonic promo and then i don't know what happens but a brawl erupts and he full-on punches the woman oh, in the God. face and he i mean i mean i don't i don't know what was going on i don't know if she was she obviously had to have been like a worker or something but he looks like he leans into it and and she if she was like a stunt woman she really just like ate it for the team but it, i just remember watching it and my jaw at, at this point i had been a wrestling fan for like so many years that I didn't think anything could shock me. I mean, I, I was through the ECW years. Yeah. And yet I, I think my jaw dropped. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> no, I, I remember this because, because like there was a time on ESPN classics where they would play old AWA shows and a guy I worked with and I would watch it. And there was an episode from 88 with, um, bad company. And they got involved in a Wendy Richter match, and Paul Diamond just hauled off and punched her right in the face. And I'm like, holy shit! Because the guy at work and I were talking the next day, like, did you watch it? Like, like I know they got involved, but like, I was shocked when he just straight up like just socked her right in the face. I, I can't hear Bad Company anymore without remembering that the song Bad Company by the band Bad Company is on the album Bad Company. There's a there's a last last podcast on the left episode that uh, that was Timothy McVeigh. Yeah, I, and they they 
Did you listen to that one with uh, Henry singing that? Yeah, that that's ruined that song for me because all I can <laughs> think is Henry singing it. I, I and it's and it's the hey, it's Bad Company by Bad Company from the album Bad Company. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad that show ruined it for you too because. <laughs> So, all right. Guys, is that about wrap it up for us? Because I got nothing. I'm about tapped. Oh, God, Matt, what happened? What okay, did I do? I'm going to have to send it to the group uh, chat. I found, okay. I found the video <laughs> of Kevin oh, Sullivan. Kevin Sull- <laughs> Wait, I got to see this. Uh, I'm going to reaction, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's yeah, it's like a brawl. Like I see Mike Graham in it. I see uh, this might be a G- was it a G? What Swede Henson maybe is involved in this? I don't know. Uh, and he, and Kevin Sullivan, it's the woman. Kevin Sullivan's like attacking some dude, and the woman like tries to like stop him. <laughs> he just punches her in the face. I don't even know if this woman is like a worker or like a stunt woman. She looks old. It's tremendous. Oh my God. I'm gonna have to post this to the Twitter page. It's okay. just amazing. Alright. Do you I can I I it, it's not something I want to get deep into, but it's so fucked up to me that Mike Graham and his dad both shot themselves. Oh my god. Uh you didn't know that? No no, I know that. I'm sorry. I'm reading I'm now actually reading I'm reading like the comments and I'm reading like this. It's not just some random old woman, even though that's what it looks like. It's Luna Vachon that he do- is doing this to. Oh, I thought that was Luna Vachon. I was going to say that, but you said middle age. I'm like, well, she was because she looks, she looks old. Yeah. And she looks completely different than of course, like the Luna Vachon that we were aware of. Cause she was like, she was like his, um, in that time she was like, if you see like some of their matches and he's like got that woman in chains, that's usually Luna Vachon. Yeah. And then there's um Bob Rupa's Maka Singh, I think. Yeah. And then I don't know who Purple Haze was. Was it? It wasn't Mark Lewin because I know that was his name, but I think Purple Haze was someone else. It might have been Mark Lewin though. Wow, we just went off. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I was going to say, guys, uh, that's about all I got. Do you guys have anything else you want to... Anything else we want to talk about, about the the aughts or... No, I do want to talk about what we're... Okay, so it's coming up in a couple weeks, and I'm super excited about it, and Matt suggested it. We are going to be doing a Herb Abrams UWF show, and I am pumped because it is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I am delighted. Uh, there's nothing quite like... Uh, quite like, like really bad shows, because they're just so out there. Oh, you're going to... I'm not going to say you guys are going to love it. I'm just going to say it's going to be bad. Okay. Okay. We'll be we'll be looking to see what happens. So, we're going to They used to they they showed the they showed like the whole TV run on ESPN Classic at some point and I was riveted by its awfulness. 
<laughs> okay. How someone could attract name talent and and so incompetently book the whole thing. It's just it's awesome. Right. Okay. Well, then that'll be coming up. And um, hey, that's that's our two parter on the the aughts, the two thousands in wrestling. Do you guys agree with this? Disagree with this? Is there something we missed that we should have talked about? Please let us know on social media. We'd love to hear from you. And so, until next time, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we'll see you next time. Okay, I should have done it. There we go. Sorry, they changed like the interface on this, and it's all weird and wonky now. Okay. Ah, fuck, I'm, like, tied into this, my chair right now. I don't know how I'm going to, like, unfuck myself because I'm, like, tangled in cords and shit. And it's in, like, my chair and under my chair. I don't know how I did this. What the fuck's wrong with me? Okay, I think I'm good. Okay, guys, it was fun as always. We're doing comic book writer shit. Good right? yeah. God! I just watched right. the video when you're right. You watched the clip. Oh, did he just? Did we get it? Oh yeah. <laughs> he just. It's because he hauls off and just. I guess it's really a slap, but he just hauls off and decks her. And again, I, I didn't realize it was Luna Vachon because she, clearly she's a worker. She knew what to do. Like she, her head just snaps back. She just goes down. Yeah. Well, the the impact point is is covered. Like it's shooting from behind her. And he's he's punching towards her, but it looks great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's old Blackjack Mulligan. Oh, is it Blackjack? I thought it was Sweet Hanson, but yeah. Uh, the guy standing behind him is Blackjack, I think. Ooh, Buddy Colt. Yeah, it looks like Blackjack. With the SMU shirt, that's Blackjack. Mm. Oh, damn. He just socked her. Yep. Man, Luda looks weird with hair. <laughs> Probably a wig. Ooh, there's Wahoo. There's some chaos going on out here. Yeah. Is that Buddy Rose? Yes. Oh, damn. I love Buddy Rose. Damn, Buddy books it out of there. Mm-hmm. That's a good segment. I miss that. That's what WWE gets wrong. They don't do those just like chaos, like shit flying everywhere, like studio brawls. That's why I love a uh, a locker room clearing brawl. I love those.
Yeah, you don't get those in WWE like you used to. No. Well, gents, as always, uh, it's a, it's been fun. Just so you know, this is actually our two-year anniversary episode. Oh, wow. Unofficially. So, um, just so you know, I love doing this every week. It's been really great for quarantine to like have something to do. <laughs> I enjoy it very much myself. Yes. Well, I am going to head off to bed now because i got shit to do tomorrow, sadly. Alrighty. You guys All right. have a good night. All right. Later, guys. Later. See ya.